Happy Sunday. Good morning. Welcome. So glad to see each and every one of you. Looking forward to a great day this morning. Thank you for braving the rain and coming out this morning. Looking forward to continuing our series entitled Living a Better Story out of the book of Genesis, studying the life of Joseph. And we're looking at this idea that we are put here on this earth for a purpose. It's not random. It's not by chance. It's not by accident. God has put us here for a reason, and it is up to us to fulfill that purpose that God has given each and every one of us. And so this morning, we want to continue that thought, continue that series as we study this passage together. And so if you have your Bibles, take it with me to the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis, and we're going to be in chapter 37, and we're going to kind of pick up right where we left off last week in the book of Genesis. And uh, the great part of every story, and especially your story, and the reason we want to do this series is because we honestly, we want to live life better. We want to, we all want to make better decisions and live with fewer regrets. That's kind of where we're at. We all want to make better decisions and live with fewer regrets. But how do we do that? How do we live life with fewer regrets? How do we make better decisions? It all has to take place with us thinking through, hey, what kind of story is my life telling? And so we looked at the character Joseph last week, and we started that he had all these dreams, all these ambitions, all these things that he wanted to uh, uh, do. And what eventually ended up happening was he kind of got full of his dreams and kind of thought, oh, hey, I've got this all together. I know what what I want to happen. And instead of uh, him fulfilling his dreams right away, they kind of backfired on him, kind of found him in a pit. And so today we're going to kind of pick up right where we left off there. But as we talk about this theme of story, the best part of every story is the character. That's really what makes up a good story, is the character. I mean, what would Star Wars be without Luke? Wouldn't be much. Uh, what would Sir Arthur Conan Doyle be without his character Sherlock Holmes? Or what would To Kill a Mockingbird be without Atticus Finch? What would Dr. Seuss be without Cat in the Hat? It's the characters of the story that make the story interesting for you and for me. Now, in our story, you and I, we're the character. And it's our part that we have in the story to develop our character. And it's our job as we look towards this, how we can develop our character. I say it like this. The character of the character matters. The character of the character matters. You see, what part of people do you see but rarely gets developed? It's our character. We kind of focus on the externals. We focus on how we look and we focus on our clothes, focus on our shoes, the car that we drive, the job that we have. And we focus maybe even on our Facebook profile, maybe our LinkedIn profile. But the part that I think oftentimes gets neglected in our story is our character. And it's one of the most important things about each and every one of us. Today, you can look at the landscape of our country, our society, and you can see that beyond all of our issues, maybe physically, beyond all of our issues, maybe even politically, the deeper root issue would be the character issues that we see today. It's so simple as, hey, maybe not, sorry, church, showing up on time. Or maybe it's so simple as we don't pay our bills on time. Or when we say, hey, uh, I, I make a promise to be here to do such a thing, we can't trust that person to be there at the right time to pay back the bill. Because why? It goes back to a character issue. When somebody stands at a wedding altar and they say, hey, I do till death do us part. And there's this, this part about our society that says, you know what? That vow is not really a covenant. It, it really is conditional. It's, it's up to 
if that person fulfills all your needs and desires and wants. Then, and if they don't, then you kind of, you can get out of that, that, that uh, vow that you made. And it all stems back to this thing of character. And too often, I think, some of the people that struggle the most with this, sad to say, oftentimes can be Christians. Here we say to follow Jesus, we say that we love him, we say that we serve him, but some of you maybe have worked with a Christian and you found them to be very lazy. You found them to not exactly be as honest as they possibly should be. And I know it's real easy for us to make excuses, and that's part of also maybe a lack of this character. It's April, and uh, so that means baseball season. So hurry up and get a game quick because you only have another six months to catch a game. It seems like baseball goes on and on and on. But anyway, if you watch baseball, and I was seeing it the other day, and you're watching this guy, and he hits a, he hits a base hit, and he's running, and he seems like he's running really fast, except they, they go to a commercial break, and they come back, and he just barely made it to the base. And you're like, this guy's really not that fast and so this player he gets to first base and he's kind of winded and all of a sudden he looks to the dugout points at a guy and then he switched places with somebody and I was like what in the world I mean imagine if uh uh Peyton Manning's about to get hit by somebody he's like hold up time out time out hey hey you come over here this dude's about to hit me and he could just switch places with somebody it in baseball it's called a pinch runner and they could switch places you ever wish sometimes in life you could have a pinch runner I mean your wife asks you one of those complicated questions does this dress make me look fat? It's like, oh, hold up, hold up, time out. Hey, she's got a question for you. You know, I mean, it'd be kind of nice to have somebody else maybe just substitute for you for those difficult questions. And sometimes uh, people that struggle with character issues, they're looking for a pinch runner. They're looking for an out. They're looking for an excuse. They're looking for some way that they can just kind of um, figure a way around it. And so what's happening today is it's a reflection based on our character. Heraclides said character is destiny. Character shapes the destiny of an individual person. It shapes the destiny of a whole society. Cicero said, within the character of the citizen lies the welfare of a nation. Frank Pittman said, the stability of our lives depends on our character. It is character, not passion, that keeps marriages together. It is character in, the, in this imperfect world It's character that enables people to survive, to endure, and to transcend their misfortunes. It stems back to character. You can have a good character, but if he doesn't have good character, he's not a great character, is he? And I know you may be thinking, that's kind of confusing, but I need you to stay with that thought that you and I need to be about developing the part of us that nobody else sees, but the part of us that's valuable, the part of us that gives great value to who we are and to our employer and to our family. That part of us that, that is deeper, and it's the character. And I know maybe some of you are thinking, hey, preacher man, that's why I've got my kids in sports, because sports teaches good character. And I played sports. I played football, and I played basketball. And I remember my coach, he would say a lot of things like this, and maybe your coach said this too. He gets you in the huddle, and he's like, now, boys, what I'm teaching you is not just for the game. This is for life. And then I remember when I got my job, you know, driving cars and parking them and that kind of stuff. And man, this dude pulled up a really nice car. I was like, that's a nice car. I'm going to take that for a spin. And I wrecked it. So my manager pulls me aside. He's mad. He's upset. And I was like, oh, what am I going to say to this guy? Then I remember what my coach told me. Excellent. Because he said this stuff applies in life. So I was like, you win some, you lose some. What really matters is that, you know, 
We'll get them next time. And then I said, the most important thing is I had fun. It doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work. So some of us think, well, well, sports teaches good character. Uh, Not always, not always. You say, well, what about pets? You know, if you have a pet, that teaches your kids lots of character. Yeah, we, we started our kids with pets. We got them some goldfish. And you know, goldfish, they either live unnaturally long or too short. You know what I mean? Like you barely get them home from the store and one's already upside down. Your kid's like, Daddy, what's wrong with Nemo? And you're like, ah, he just likes to swim that way. And uh, they they catch you as you're putting them in the toilet. And they're like, where's Nemo going? Uh, To check the plumbing. And uh, we're going to go find Nemo at the pet store later on. And if he has a good time, he might not look the same, but we're going to go get him later on, you know. And then, and then you got the other side where they just live forever, and you can't kill that thing off. I mean, you don't change the bowl. You don't change nothing. It's algae. It looks like a science project. And all of a sudden, this thing's growing teeth. It's got extra fins popping out. And you're just like, wow, this thing is scary. You try to get in there to fish him out. It eats that little scooper thing. And you're just like, no, I'm done. I'm done. No, this is not happening. This guy is crazy. And so we think, man, pets, that'll teach our kids character. But the reality is character is that internal part of us. You see, your kids can get all straight A's, but they can still flunk out at life. Because why? We didn't develop the character. The character that sustains them. I use the illustration all the time. The most important part about the Golden Gate Bridge is not the orange pretty things that everybody sees. It's what's below the waterline. That's the most important thing. It's the character. It's the struts. It's the foundation that holds it up. The most important thing about this mall, this building, is not the lights. It's not the signs. It is the foundation that this mall sits on. So when an earthquake comes, we don't, uh, the walls don't collapse and we all don't die. Now, for your life, your character is the foundation. But too often, you can meet some people. They've got all kinds of talent. And their talent, man, they just kind of go meteoric rise. And then you see them tank out. You see them fail. You see them do something incredibly dumb, incredibly stupid. Why? Because they had charisma, they had talent, but they didn't have the character to sustain it. And I see all too often people are like, oh, I want that next promotion. I want that position before they're ready for it. And so we're going to look at this character of Joseph, and we're going to see that God does something incredible through his life. And God doesn't want to just give you a new life. He wants to give you a new lens with which you see your life. Because many times we don't look at the situations that we're currently in as God using it to build the foundations of our character. And I don't want to be a part of a group that says we just care about the externals. We need to be about the things that are deeper, the things that are heart issues, the things that build our character so that we, when troublesome times come, we stand the test. We stand the difficulties. Matter of fact, in Second Peter, verse number one, chapter one, verse five, it says, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. That word virtue is literally the same word as character. God is saying, hey, add to your faith virtue, add character. It's the very first thing. Once you became a new believer, once you become a follower of Jesus, he wants you to start adding to your character, developing that internal side of you. But too often we say, no, I'm just going to develop other things that everybody else is impressed with. And God's saying, no, there's, there's more to it than that. Let's dig a little bit deeper. I had a college professor, and some of the people went to the same college as I did. And this guy had one favorite word out of all the words. And whether he was teaching the class, whether he was in chapel, whether he was just on campus, he would just say, character, 
You need character. That's, that's all he would say. I don't, I don't know anything else he taught. I don't know anything else he would say. But he would just walk up and be like, oh, character. You got character. You brush your teeth. You got character. You went to bed on time. Character. You have a job. You got character. You're dating that girl. You got character. You kiss that girl. You don't have character. You know, he would just go off. You know, it was a very strict college, okay? And so he would just kind of go off on this thing of character. He was just adamant that you develop your character. Looking back, I kind of think it's almost one of the most valuable lessons that I learned. Because today, there is a huge gap in the character development of an entire generation. 80% of high school students and college students that were polled by a Stanford University test said they did not see it wrong, anything wrong, with cheating on a test to get to the next level. They said they didn't see anything wrong about it. On the same test, they said... The same test, they said, do you think it's wrong if you see an error in society? You don't point it out. They were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had this altruistic feeling where they felt like, you know, I, I would point out wrongs in other people, but they kind of gloss over their own character flaws. And that's the society we live in. One where, where, where it's okay for me to do it as long as you don't do it. As long as you're not doing anything wrong. But hey, don't point the finger at me. I, I'm not guilty here. And so what we're missing is this huge character development. And I need you to understand something. God's goal for you is character, not always your comfort. Many times that's where we kind of bail out on the character development because we're after the comfort. We want to keep things easy, keep things comfortable. But God says, hey, I'm going to develop your character. It's not always going to be easy. That's a long introduction to get to the book of Genesis. If you would, would you stand? We're going to read just a few verses, just, just seven verses here. Beginning in verse number 21, the scripture will be up on the screen, and we're going to read just a few verses, and then we're going to be seated again. Notice, if you would, verse number 21. The Bible says, and Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands. You say, what's happening right now? Joseph, right where we picked off last time. Joseph is going to check up on his brothers. He showed up on the scenes. The brothers see Joseph coming. Why? Because he had that special coat. You could see it from miles away. The coat gave him away. And then they decided, let's kill our brother. Why? They're jealous because dad picked the youngest to be the leader of the family instead of the oldest. But notice the oldest, his name is Reuben. He's got a desire to deliver his brother, to save his brother. So that's what the Bible's saying. And Reuben heard that they wanted to kill him, and he delivered him out of their hands. And he said, let's not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness. And lay no hand on him, that he might rid him out of their hands, to deliver him to his father again. So he's got this plan. He's like, right, we'll throw him in a pit. My brothers fall asleep. I'll get Joseph out of the pit, and I'll kind of get him to safety, all right? Big brother in a weird way trying to save Joseph, okay? Notice what happens though. Later on, when Joseph was coming to his brothers, they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and threw him into the pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And then they sat down to eat bread. Kind of messed up brothers, right? Like they just threw him into a pit and it's like, man, that was a lot of work. Let's go eat something. As we contemplate how we're going to kill our brother who's down in the pit. And imagine you're down in this pit and all of a sudden you hear them just having a good time. You're like, what's wrong with these people? What family are they from? Very dysfunctional family. Verse number 25, and they sat down to eat bread and they lifted up their eyes and looked. And it was like, oh, what luck. Behold, there's some merchant people. Hey, why kill our brother when we can make some money off of our brother? Let's sell him. And I'll be honest. If any of you have had siblings, you've had the same thoughts. Let's not judge them too harshly, okay? All right? We've thought about this. We were like, man, if there was a circus or somewhere where I could sell this person, man, it'd be great. Take their room, take their stuff. 
And Judah said unto his brothers, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. All of a sudden now they seem like, you know what? He's our brother after all. We shouldn't kill him. Let's make some money off of him. Verse 28. Then they passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph to Egypt. Verse 36, the same chapter, I'll read it. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and the captain of the guard. God's goal for you is character, not comfort. It was Martin Luther King Jr. in his famous I Have a Dream speech who said that he had a dream that one day people would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the contents of their character. Powerful, isn't it? Before you sit down, and as we fix these popping mics, would you greet five people and say, your character counts? Greet five people and say, character counts. All right. It may work. It may not. It's all good. We'll try. We'll see what happens. All right. Character counts. And we want to see not just that God's going to give us a new life, but we want to see a new lens. So we need to see how God develops us. We need to see as we look at this life of Joseph, how God is going to take him through a series of events. Many of us may look at Joseph and think this guy's got the worst luck of anybody. He's born into this family and this family, his brothers hate him. They plot kill him. They don't kill him. They sell him. He ends up as a slave. And now it seems like Joseph's life is pretty much over, except you're looking at it with the wrong lens. Let's go back just a little bit. You see, God had told Joseph that you are going to be a leader. You're going to save your people. And Joseph has a dream. His dream is that his family bows down to him. His dream is that he does save a nation. And it seemed like when he was at home, as he was the leader of his family, that that was going to happen. But now he's a slave. But did you notice who's that he got sold to? Did you notice where he ended up going? To Potiphar. Now, just think about it. What are the odds that Joseph would wind up being the slave of Potiphar, who just so happened to be Pharaoh's right-hand man over the military? Now, if you are going to be the future leader of a nation, prime minister of a nation, don't you think it's going to be pretty important that you have some knowledge over the military? So at first glance, it looks like God is punishing Joseph. And at first glance, over your situation, you may be looking at your life right now thinking, God, you're punishing me. God, you were supposed to give me the job. God, I was supposed to get the loan. God, I was supposed to have this relationship. God, I was supposed to be here in my career. I was supposed to be here. I was supposed to be doing this. And God is saying, hold on. You're looking at your life through the wrong lens. God's not punishing you. He's preparing you. Because Joseph had started out as me. And God has got to move Joseph from it's all about me to now you've got to become a servant. Because a great leader, before he is ever in authority, learns how to be under authority. 
And too often we want to skip that, don't we? We just want to jump right into management. We just want to jump into, I'm in charge. We just want to be first. We just want to go to that next level. And we forget that God has a process of preparation for your life and for mine. And it's easy at first glance to think that Joseph's being punished. But what Joseph could have viewed as punishment, God was using as preparation. You see, the Bible says, and Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian bought him off the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down. And the Lord was with Joseph. Notice that. God's with him. God's directing him. The Bible says in Psalms 37, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. God's directing his steps. And if you and I believe that Bible verse, then we've got to look at our own lives and say, God, are you directing my steps? God, the, the, the twists and turns that seem like random chance, seem like just kind of evolved, just seem like an accident. Now I need to look at it with the lens that, God, maybe you're actually doing this for a reason. I shared with one of the people that are in a church, I said, hey, look, we structure our lives not for where we are, but for where we're going. Because this isn't where we plan on staying. We plan on growing. We plan on developing. And can I tell you this? You never outgrow growth. You never outgrow it. I don't care if you are uh, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old. You never outgrow your ability to grow. Because the moment you stop growing is the moment you stop living. That's the moment where you say, I've learned enough, and you haven't. God wants to continue to drive and develop your character. But too often, we, we, we cut short that process. You see, Joseph was not being forgotten. He was being forged into the leader that God wanted him to be. And God said, hey, Joseph, I'm with you as you're this slave right now. And Joseph decided there's some lessons he can learn as being a slave. And he quickly embraced his role. And immediately, it kind of seems like God promotes him. And so much so that even Potiphar notices that God is blessing Joseph. And he puts Joseph over his entire household. Why? Because favor of God was on him. May I ask you this question? Is the favor of God on your life in an evident way where the people around you look at you and say there's something different about you? Because I believe for every Christ follower, for every person that says, I've given my life to Jesus, there should be something so different about us where people just say there's a favor, unnatural favor there. Whatever this person does, it just kind of seems like they have the Midas touch. It turns to gold. God blesses them. They work hard. They develop their team. They, they give extra. They're constantly encouraging and uplifting their team. They're not bringing everybody down. But too often, I've met enough Christians that they're the worst people to work with. They bring everybody down. Why? Because for whatever reason, they feel entitled. For whatever reason, they feel like, well, I, I just don't have to do a good job, and I, I just don't have to be this. You know what I love about our musicians? They work so hard, even though none of them get a dime to make sure the worship music sounds just right. I mean, they're in my living room hour after hour after hour, just going over one more note. Just hit this note just right. Just come, we've got to hit it just right. We've got to get it to sound just like this. They don't get paid. Why? Because they understand something. They understand that this is a microcosm of their entire life. That what they do, what they do here, if they do this well, it spills over. And you need to look at your life and say, hey, how am I doing with my job? If I can't do my part-time job well, how can I ever expect to lead a family well? Hey, if I can't do the simple things in school, like turning my homework, how will I ever succeed in college? Hey, if I can't pay the bills, how am I ever going to expect to actually own a home one day? Hey, if I can't simply do the, the little things in my Christian character, how do I expect to have God advance me promote me. You see, they hinge on one another. 
And don't look at what God's doing in your life right now as punishment, Christian. Because God is saying, I want to develop you. I want to promote you. You see, Joseph was being delivered, uh, was being discovered as a great leader before he was, he wanted to be, God wanted him to be discovered, but before he had to be developed. And oftentimes we want to shortcut that, don't we? We just want to be discovered. Notice if you would, please write this down. Development is greater than discovery. I meet a lot of people, especially church planners and people that, that want to go into ministry. And oftentimes they tell me, well, I just want to be a pastor. I just want to have this position or even business. I just want to be the boss. I want to be my own, own business leader. And they're just waiting for one person to discover them. Oh, if somebody would just find me, if somebody would just see my talent, if they would just uh, uh, recognize my value. The problem is you haven't developed yourself to be discovered. You see something that nobody else sees. And the reason nobody else sees it is because you have not developed it yet. For six and a half years, my wife and I worked on church staff for six and a half years, just developing, doing whatever we needed to be done. Anything that needed to be done. Six and a half years. Saying, why am I doing this? What does it make sense? Just six and a half years. Six and a half years. It was all preparation. God just saying, hey, I'm just developing you. I'm just getting you ready for one day when you're going to lead a church plant. Or guess what? You're going to have to do everything. So this is development time. I'm back on baseball right now. The season kicked off. There's a great player. His name is Ben Zoberist. Any of you know that name? He played for the Oakland A's as of up until August of last year. He was playing for them. October, excuse me. And uh, he was a great player. He's kind of what you would call a well-rounded player. He plays shortstop, second base, outfielder. He can bat right and left, but he throws right. He plays five different positions. It's kind of rare for a player to play five different positions. But here's the thing Zobris knew. He's a great Christ follower, a great Christian. He discovered his love of baseball while his dad was going to seminary, and he kind of developed it. But he would tell you he's not the best player. He said, there's no way I could ever be a Barry Bonds and hit the home runs like Barry. There's no way I could be a Mark McGuire and have that skill like Mark McGuire had. Sorry, I may be going back for some of you in the baseball names, but that's okay. You'll, get, you'll catch up. But Ben Zobris knew that if I just do the fundamentals, if I just work on, hey, my grounders, if I just work on my hitting, my swinging, if I just do these basic things, guess what? Maybe that'll be enough. He just signed a contract for the Chicago Cubs for $56 million. He led the Kansas City Royals to their World Series win last year. Why? And they looked at him, his coaches, his managers. They said, we've never seen such a well-rounded player that wherever we need to put him in, we can put Zobris there. He wasn't waiting to be discovered because he's a great hitter. He said, that may not be enough. So I'm going to develop myself in every possible area that I can. There's a lesson for you and I. Joseph is now a slave, and instead of saying, hey, I quit, I give up, nobody discovered me. I mean, I'm in Egypt. How come the Pharaoh didn't come and get me? He's in Egypt. No, there was some development. Before he could be discovered, he had to be developed. Before you can be discovered at your job, you've got to go through some development. You've got to go through some training. Hey, before God puts you on a scene of promotion, he's got to develop you. Hey, am I preaching the truth, church? I need a little bit more feedback. Y'all are asleep this morning. Okay, thank you. There's a few. Thank you. I was hoping to get a little bit more support from the parents. Like, nudge your teenagers a little bit. This is good for everybody, but especially them to hear this. Because oftentimes, we just have this entitlement mentality. I just want my boss to just give me the $40 an hour, hour pay that 
I deserve. No, you work at McDonald's, all right? Sorry, no. Even with $15 minimum wage increase, you're not getting 40, okay? It's just not going to happen. Go build your own McDonald's, then maybe you'll get it, all right? But understand, when it comes to this discovery, we've got to develop ourselves. So what did Joseph do? Instead of focusing on what had happened, Joseph focused on where he was headed. And too often, many times, we don't develop ourselves because we're focused on what had happened. And Joseph has a, a huge tragedy story, doesn't he? I mean, come on, your brothers sold you out. Literally, they sold you out. And now he's in a foreign country. His dad thinks he's dead because his brothers took his coat, dipped it in blood, and sent it back to their dad. Talk about telling a good story. We're going to get to this in future weeks. Guess, look at the story that his brothers have to tell now. Their story is that we're liars. We have to live with that every time they went to a family reunion because they don't come in contact with Joseph for another 13 years. So for 13 years without their 17-year-old brother, they've got to tell dad a story every time they see him because their dad mourned. He thought his life was over. So every time they see dad, of course he's going to talk about Joseph. And what do you think it was like for them to hold that secret that Joseph's actually not dead? We don't know where he's at, but he's not dead. I mean, sometimes I told that to Jane in the mall. We've lost one of our kids. They're not dead. I just don't know where Megan's at. Like, it's okay. It could be worse, right? But it never works well. I don't know why. It just doesn't. But you could try it too. And so we, here, here's, here's Joseph's brothers. They had to live with that story. Joseph's story is, hey, I can focus on what happened. Guess what? You may have been fired. You may have had somebody cheat on you, divorce you, separate from you. And it may not have been your fault. But guess what? You can focus on that, what happened, and you will miss where you're headed. Because I don't know about you, but if I'm driving down the 101, headed north, but if I constantly am looking over my shoulder like this, I'm sure to get in a car accident. Guaranteed. Especially between Tully and Capitol. Way too many of uh, bad drivers, all right? I was about to say Asian, but then my wife would give me that nasty look. So I won't say it. I'll only imply it, okay? So just understand that it's just kind of like you, you can't be looking over your, your shoulder to go forward. The same is true in life. And many times I meet people who say, oh, I should have been the manager. I should have had that position. The only problem is they're always looking at what they should have done or what happened in the past. No, God wants us to be moving forward. Hebrews chapter number 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. God said, hey, eyes on him, eyes forward, eyes up. And that needs to be our thoughts. But too often I meet Christians, instead of moving forward, they're moving backward. And Joseph decided, I'm going to do something different. Because Joseph knew, focus determines future. Where are you headed? Where's your focus? Is your focus just kind of, well, it's too expensive to own a home. It's too expensive to really develop here. I got to move on. I got to pick up roots. And I've met so many people that do that. Oh, I got to transition. Got to try something else. Not really working. Instead of saying, I'm going to have God keep me here. I'm going to keep developing, keep working. Also notice, Joseph, instead of complaining, committed. The Bible says in these passages that here, Pharaoh looked and saw that this guy's great. This is a guy I could trust. This is a guy I could put over my entire home. Matter of fact, we're going to run into a little story here in a couple verses. Or let me just read it. Verse number two, the Bible says, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. You see, Joseph is a great picture of what the Bible says in Psalms 1, that we are to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he does shall prosper. That's Joseph. 
He's living out Psalms 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. He's the epitome of it. My question for you and I is, are we prosperous in our life? And I know, I know, it's really easy to give excuses. I've been guilty of giving excuses. But excuses are useless. You say, well, this teacher, they're not really for me. Okay, yeah, a bad break. So what? Oh, well, you know what? This person just doesn't see how talented I am. Yeah, so what? Most of the world doesn't see how talented you are. Matter of fact, 7.2 billion people don't see how talented you are. They probably just aren't ever going to. So are you going to let that stop you from ever developing right here, right now? And say, I'm going to make the best of this situation? You see, that's what character does. Character says there's something deeper that says I'm just not going to give up. Hey, help me out. You know that life is so hard. Job is so difficult. Uh, marriage is so str- stressful at times where it'd be really easy to say, I'm just going to walk away from this. But it's that character that keeps us there. It's the character that says, you know what? My boss really is a jerk. But you know what? It's Monday. I'm going to get back up. I'm going to go back to work. It's the character that says, you know what? I really don't like my school, but I'm going to get back and I'm going to go and I'm going to get some good grades. It's the character that says, hey, tomorrow's another day at that job. I'm just going to keep working the grind. Keep working the grind. Keep going at it. The little things that make up for those big things. You see, Joseph decided, hey, I'm not going to complain. I'm going to commit to training. But too often, I meet so many people. It's so easy to complain. Every time I've ever started a job, every time, you can spot the complainers right away. I mean, they all group together. It's like there's a tuning fork. They all just kind of find each other. You could just spot them. Sometimes even in churches, little clusters of groups. And don't scoot away from anybody, all right? You'll give yourselves away, all right? But sometimes you could just spot these clusters. And they just complain. And it was too hot. It was too cold. The sound was too loud. It kept popping. And this was happening. Or, or, or it was raining. And you could just find those people that complain. And mark my words, those people never advance. They don't. But they always think they should. Isn't that funny? They just complain all the time. They just think, well, I should be advancing. Why? You're going to take that poisonous attitude with you wherever you go. No, it's toxic. You're toxic. And I mean, too many people, they complain. Hey, your living situation may not be perfect. The home that you have, the apartment that you have, the room that you have may not be perfect. But complaining is not going to help you. I say it like this. We don't gain when we complain. We don't gain when we complain. There's nothing that you gain. So here's Joseph just said, hey, I'm going to train. I'm going to get better at learning to manage. And it's amazing because God's going to use his ability to manage a household, an influential household with other servants, manage how we bring in the crops, how we handle the finances. God is using that. It's steps that are preparing him. And God is using steps to prepare you for a situation. Guess what? You have not yet faced. And God's saying, hey, this is the process to get you there. My wife and I, we like to train. We like to work out. And it's, it's interesting. Oftentimes, you have to do these weird movements. And you're like, why am I doing this movement? I mean, this hurts. This is lousy. And, and we went to train with Sean the other day. And, man, I don't know if that dude hates us or something. But it was just, like, brutal. We were there for an hour and a half. And he's making us do all these weird movements. And he's saying we're doing it wrong. And then we look at him like, why do we have to do this? And he's like, the reason is because if you get this technique down, then you can lift a whole lot more. You'll be a lot stronger. we got to work these muscles because guess what? You've been neglecting those muscles that are really important, and now you're going to be able to do more. What happens in your character development is you often neglect muscles that you need in life to succeed. Right now, if you don't learn to, hey, guess what? I take care of the trash. I take care of the home. I make pay the bills. Then you're not going to really be able to take care of a spouse one day if you can't do the simple things now. So it progresses. It progresses in in your job as well. So Joseph, 
Instead of complaining, committed to training. Instead of becoming bitter, Joseph allowed his situation to make him better. He allowed it to make him better. Are you allowing the situation to make you better? Or are you just going through it? He says, this is just a difficult situation. I don't like it. And I'm just going to kind of just wait till God changes it. I'm going to change it myself. I'm going to move, sell my house, start over. It's cheaper somewhere else. I'm sure I'll find a better situation. The problem with you doing that is the fact that you take yourself everywhere you go. And you'll always find yourself wherever you go. And you'll be amazed that the same problems end up magically showing up in that situation. You say, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go be with this other person. I'm going to, I'm going to tell that kind of story that I left that relationship for this relationship. And man, when that one went sour, I went to another relationship and you just kind of keep telling that story or you tell the story that you've had 30 or 40 jobs in the last 2.5 years. And you just say, that's a story that I'm telling. And, and, and people just begin to look at you and say, you know, what? the problem wasn't the previous boss the problem wasn't the previous relationship. The problem wasn't how much money you made. The problem was, sorry to say it is you. Unless we stop and say, you know what, Lord? I'm in this situation for a reason. I'm at this school. I'm in this place. And there's something you want me to learn here. And I'm just going to keep having this day job moment unless I decide that I'm going to learn from this. And I'm going to allow it to make me better, not bitter. Also, you need to see this is powerful. Your deliverance will come out of your dilemma. You see, Joseph's going to be delivered from this. But his deliverance is going to come in an unnatural way. Let's pick it up. Chapter number 39. Notice verse number 10. The Bible says this. And it came to pass as, well, let me just give you a little bit of backstory just before we get to verse number 10, all right? Joseph's in charge of all of the household in Potiphar's household. Those of you familiar with the story, this is where we go from maybe PG to about rated R, okay? Real fast, okay? Because after all, Joseph is Rachel's son. Rachel was the good-looking daughter, and Joseph just kind of inherited some of his mom's genes. I'm praying the same things happened with our kids. And so just one of those, he got the genes, and all of a sudden, the Bible says that in verse number 10, and it came to pass, as she, this is Potiphar's wife, spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her, to lie by her or to be with her. Every day, To this slave, Potiphar's wife would say, hey, basically, in effect, sorry, I'm going to get a little bit uh, crude here, maybe for a second, sleep with me. Every day. Every day. I don't know if she had a bad reputation with sleeping with the other servants, and she can't figure out why Joseph won't. I don't know. Maybe Joseph said no because this person is ugly and hit every branch and the ugly tree on the way down. We don't know. Maybe it was easier than we think to resist temptation. I don't know. But regardless of the fact, here is Joseph day by day. He's being tempted to lose his purity. He's being tempted to give away something that he knows he's not supposed to give away. And this is the powerful moment in Joseph's story. Because this is where his character development is going to pay off. Because we see more than ever today. You look at somebody... And it kind of all broke at once. Many of you can go back to when Tiger Woods was at the apex of his career. And it all came tumbling down. And it all had to do with his morals. Two things that I find people struggle the most with is money and morals. Money and morals. And it's amazing how many politicians' careers are ruined because of one of the two. It's amazing how many Christians' lives can be ruined because of one of the two. It's amazing how many people that aren't even supposedly Christ followers ruin their lives because of either money or morals. And here Joseph is going to withstand the greatest test, I think, of his entire life. Because there's no parents. There's no church. There's no youth group. Potiphar's obviously not around, all right? 
she probably had a reputation. You could draw some conclusions here where Joseph's like, hey, God did me wrong. I'm a slave. Why don't I just enjoy myself? This is a big temptation. But I love Joseph's answer. I love that all that character development, all that time, God getting him ready. Because one day, Joseph's going to be the prime minister of Egypt. And guess what? If he can't control money and morals way back here, he's guaranteed to mess it up when he has unchecked power. Right now, he's just got a situation. Can I say this? Some of us, it's not that you have strong, strong will. You just haven't had the right situation face you. Because some of us would do some pretty horrible things if the situation were to approach us. And it's not because we've got this great character. It's because the right, to, the right situation. And we could do some incredibly terrible things. But here's the right situation. Notice, the Bible says in verse number 12, or verse number 11, it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men of the house there within. Nobody's around. Nobody. He can do whatever he wants. Nobody knows. But there was one person. And it came to pass when she saw that he, or excuse me, and she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. There's nobody around. Hey, Joseph, you can get away with it. It's be our little secret. Your boss comes to you. Hey, sign off on this. It'll be our little secret. Secretary, come on. It'll be our little secret. You name the situation. That's how the story starts, isn't it? It's our little secret. But you have to ask yourself this question. Is that the story I want to tell? I don't want to go 20, 30 years from now. And when my kids, Megan and Austin, sit down and say, Daddy, tell us about your life, that I have to leave things out. Do you get what I'm saying, church? I don't want to have to be able to say, you know what? There was a period of history where dad was just an idiot. And I really can't share more. It's too painful. Too painful for your mom and I. Nobody wants that part of their story. There are things that you and I are tempted and confronted with. That we would never ever want to one day sit down with our kids and have to share that with them. So Joseph, in this moment of weakness, this moment where he can get away with whatever, he thought ahead. And notice what Joseph says. He says this. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called on the men of the house. Excuse me. Um, I'm missing a verse here. Basically, he said, how can I do this wrong? How can I sin against my God, sin against you? He basically told her, hey, we should do we shouldn't commit this sin we shouldn't commit this error and he basically rehearsed the story that he didn't want to repeat oh here it is verse number eight the bible says behold my master doesn't know what is with me in the house he said basically master left everything in my care this is what he's saying to potiphar and he said master he doesn't know and he says it's because he's committed all that he has to my hand he said there's none greater in this house than i neither hath he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, in the moment of temptation, he stopped and he rehearsed his life story. He said, there's a story one day I'm going to have to tell. And I don't want to have to tell the story that I slept with Potiphar's wife. He said, I don't want a part of my story. This week, you are going to be confronted with situations. And you're going to have to make this decision. Do I want this to be part of my story? Do I want the affair? 
Do I want the substance abuse? Do I want to lose my purity? There's going to be decisions that you are going to have to make. So right now, what kind of story do you want to tell? Because one day you are going to tell your story. And right now, the life of Joseph so far is a shining example of a great story. His brothers, not so much so. You and I have those decisions to make. You see, Joseph, he goes from being forced to slavery to free will to serve. Notice what happens, though. I told you his deliverance would come out of his dilemma. Notice this. He gets caught. He gets uh, basically thrown into jail, okay? Here's what happens. Potiphar comes home, and Potiphar said, or Potiphar heard his wife speak, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, after this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison. You say, how is that deliverance? It is deliverance. It is ultimately a step closer to where God is trying to get Joseph. You say, I don't see it. Man, I don't know. Maybe you didn't study enough this week. I don't know if you had a rough week. What's going on? Like, I still don't see his deliverance from his dilemma from those verses. Let me finish it real quick. It says that Joseph was thrown into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in prison. So let's back up just for a second. Let's see the big picture. If you're Joseph, you're going to be the next prime minister of Egypt. You're going to have to have military knowledge. Then you're going to have to have political knowledge. What better place to learn the politics of a country than a political prison? You see, you're looking at Joseph's life like this just went from bad to worse. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. Because his preparation's not done. You see, you and I, we need to change the lens, church. We need to stop looking at our life and thinking that God, when he said, hey, he came into my life, that life's going to be perfect. No, he's trying to do something through you and in you. He's developing you. And we need to look at life through a new lens. You see, Joseph, he passed the test. One old preacher said, Joseph lost his coat, but he kept his character. And I like that. There are some things you have to give up if you're going to go to the next level. There are some things you have to be able to say, I'm okay with losing a coat but I'm going to keep something that's much more valuable. I'm okay with that boyfriend or girlfriend breaking up with me because I'm going to keep my purity. That's a good time to say amen because in our culture, it just kind of seems like "Ah, it doesn't matter because we live in a culture that says sex outside of marriage is normal. And I just want to remind you, church, I'm an old prude and I will tell you right here, it's wrong. It's wrong. And it's not because I'm mean. It's because I ultimately want what's best for you. And God says that the marriage bed is undefiled. God said there's something sacred about it. And Joseph passed that test. Now, yes, there are times when people mess up and we don't get hung up on that. But we say, hey, from this day on, from this day forward. So if you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend pressuring you to do something that you're not comfortable with, then it's time to sever the relationship. Ditch the coat. It's not worth it. It's not. I was reading an article written by nobody that would you and I would say, this is some sterling person, but it was a great article. And he was saying that right now, the age of innocence is getting younger and younger. He says, I'm amazed at what sixth graders know and do. I don't want to be too crude, but among middle schoolers right now, the big thing is oral sex. Sixth graders and eighth graders. Oral sex. That's the big thing. And public schools don't know what to do about it. They say, we'll go into a room, and there'll be a bunch of kids circling. And they said, we, we don't know. 
school after school. He says, what's going on? And he says, teachers walk into the rooms, and the kids don't have shock. They don't have, let's run. They're like, what of it? Because we as a society have so downplayed morals. We have hypersexualized everything. You can walk by a billboard and selling real estate and they'll put somebody who's wearing practically nothing. And you're thinking, so is that what I need to sell my house? Like I could just have a garbage house and as long as I have that picture, it's going to sell? Is that what you're trying to communicate to me? That's showing our society has lost its mores and its character. We've lost something much deeper. And it's up to us to say, you know what? There are things that matter more than whether or not I have the right filter on my Instagram post. What's the filter on my heart? Oh, that was good. I would, I would tweet that. I like that. That just came to me. Sometimes they just come. I mean, God just gives it to me. But I need you to understand from every age, we've got to say, Lord, there's got to be something in my life that protects me from making these stupid decisions. And I'm trying to get us as a church to see what's the story that we're telling? What's the story one day that we want to tell our kids and our grandkids? What's that story going to be? What's the headline going to say? And Joseph chose the harder but better story. And we live in a day and age where if you don't have character, you're going to choose the easy story. You're going to sell out, walk away. You're going to give up. You're going to make some poor decisions. Why? Because your life is not rooted and grounded in something stronger. You see, your character is always worth more than your coat. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, flee also youthful lust, but be followers of righteousness. It says, flee it. But Joseph, here he is in this, this situation. We're thinking, God, how are you going to deliver him in this situation? And we're going to kind of end it in just a moment here. But notice that Joseph in the same passage meets two others prisoners who are in the prison. One is a, a, the baker for Pharaoh. The other is the cupbearer, the right hand of Pharaoh. And if anybody can get Joseph out of the situation, it's Pharaoh. And Joseph interprets their dreams. The baker is going to be executed, but the cupbearer is going to be restored. And when the cupbearer is restored, Joseph told him, hey, remember me when you're restored. The cupbearer for two years forgets about Joseph. And at first we'd say, just Joseph's luck, right? Austin's got this new thing where he slaps his head and says, great. I don't know who taught it to him, but it's just like uh, somebody will say, Austin, go take a bath. Great. And he just does it. It's hilarious, but don't laugh at him because we're not trying to encourage the habit, you know? It's just kind of his sarcastic humor. We don't know. Or he'll say something, and I maybe have already shared this, and he's just saying, that's not necessary, not necessary. I'm like, who taught you that word, you know? That is the Asian genes because I'm not that smart, all right? You know, that definitely was his mom. And so you just look at him, he's got this sarcastic, like, great. And I could just imagine Austin hearing this part. Now he's been forgotten, and Austin just going, great. And we could look at Joseph's like that, like, life like that but God is carefully guiding his steps like he's guiding your steps because you got to see it from Potiphar to the prison God is molding Joseph getting him ready to take the throne getting him ready prepared for that position and God is getting you ready for that next position that you have so my question is what is the lens with which you're looking at life the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord God's directing your steps let's bring it to home now let's close this up let's land this plane and God is trying to get you to see that your steps are ordered by him. But let's think about Proverbs for just a second. Where the Bible says, lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, trust him and he will direct your paths. But too often we don't trust him enough to direct our paths. God led me to this valley back in 2007. 
Then I didn't know I was single when I came here and I didn't know much about the valley. I was born in the valley and God led me to come back in 2007 and 2009. I married my wife who is Filipino, is Asian. Can I tell you this? I used to minister to a lot of people, but I really was not engaging with any of the Asian community. None, none. 2009, that all changed. I mean, radically changed. All of a sudden, it was like, oh, your wife's Asian, Filipino. I mean, I got better spots at restaurants. I mean, people were inviting me over. It all changed. Why? Because God was preparing me. Why? For this community. Because this community, some of you remember, this community has really changed in the last 20, 30 years. There used to be a lot of farmers around here. There used to be a lot of orchards. Not too many farmers around here that were Asian. And so all of a sudden now, it's just kind of like things are just changing. God was preparing me. I look at that, but that's not the only thing that I look at. I look at how God got us ready to start this church. And I just kind of think back at how I grew up in a, in a pastor's home, but a pastor was a church planner. I'm like, oh, okay. I see how God was preparing me. I see how God used situations in my dad's life that I can now draw on 25 years later so I can avoid some mistakes. God's directing me. I can see now, looking back on it, that God sent me to a certain college who there would be another college person from that same college who would hear that we're starting a church, but we didn't meet this person. We were in uh, the Hayward area at a meeting, and this person heard that we were starting a church in San Jose. So this person told her parents, who her parents were at the time looking for a church, and so Raul and Claudia Medina showed up that first Sunday. And some of you are here because Raul and Claudia showed up. Why? Because God sent me and my wife to a college where they sent their their daughter. And can you see how God's connecting the steps? Can you see where God's bringing things together? Can you see where God's taking what would be just some crazy things and bring it into place? I worked at a job in a ministry where they couldn't pay a lot. So I picked up a full-time job at a tech company. I didn't know that God was using it. So I would experience what it's like to work at a tech company. Now I know what a lot of you go through day in and day out, long hours, not necessarily the greatest pay, fighting traffic, stress. And all of a sudden now I can sympathize with you. And now I understand. I see how God was preparing me way back then for what he's doing right here and right now. I can see how God's directing my steps. You need to take inventory of your life. What has God been directing you to? What has God been preparing way back in your past that you're going to be able to bring into your future? Closing illustration. Think about it. The children of Israel, they're crossing over in not the Red Sea, but the Jordan River. Crossing over the Jordan River. Notice what happens in that river crossing. They cross over on dry land, but then Joseph says to 12 leaders of Israel, go back and grab 12 stones for a memorial. Isn't it interesting? He said, go back into the river that we just crossed. That river that was overflowing. The river that was crowded. That river that would have drowned us. Go back into it. Go back into our past. Let's gather some stones. Let's carry them into our present, into our future. Why? Because these are going to be memorial for a generation to follow that you can trust God. It's amazing that they took 12 stones. You could almost say one stone represent each month of the year where you could just look back over that last year and say, look how God is using these stones. Look what God is using in my past to help my present and my future generations. See, you're telling a story right now, Christian. And God wants to use that story in a powerful way. So you can look at your past and say, oh, it's all messed up. I've done so many terrible things. Or you can say, you know what? God's been just preparing me. It's not a punishment, it's preparation. Development is greater than discovery. 
Let's all stand as we close.